0: January 22nd, 1973, the United States Supreme Court in uh, ruling on Roe versus Wade passed down a decision overturning a Texas law and the Supreme Court decision made abortion legal in all the United States. In 1984, since 1984, Every third Sunday, or the third—I'm sorry—since 1984, the third Sunday in January has been designated as Sanctity of Life Sunday. It's been set aside uh, as Sanctity of Life Sunday to to remember the Holocaust of the innocent children that have been murdered, sanctioned by our government, to pray for repentance and to keep our nation, call our nation, to wake up and repent. As a pastor for the last 32, 33 years, every, almost every third Sunday in those last 33, 32, 33 years, I have um, most likely, uh, I have endeavored to preach with clarity the message, the biblical message that God, who is the giver of eternal life for all who receive his son, Jesus Christ as their personal savior, is not only the giver of eternal life, but that God is also the giver of life. And that as such, all life should be sacred and handled with respect and valued. This question of abortion, the question of euthanasia, the question of suicide, in my opinion all center on one issue. And that issue is who is in control of your body. Now, for the abortion people, they want to say that a woman's body is her own, that that which is growing within her womb is not a human being. It is simply a blob of tissue. And they want to call it that. They don't want to acknowledge it as a living being. And therefore, they say that a woman is entitled to do with her body as she pleases and ungodly judges have contorted our constitution to create a right that did not exist to give her the right to kill that unborn child. Those who espouse euthanasia and assisted suicide want to say that their bodies are their own. And when they get to hurting so badly and when it gets so unbearable that they should have the right to end their life when they choose and how they choose. And again, ungodly judges are complicit in granting them that right. However, God's word says quite differently. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. King James starts this word off, verse off and says, What? Don't you know? But I've asked Craig to put this in New Living. He says, Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Look at this. You do not belong to yourself. Let me get this out of the way. I think I'm looking a man in the face right there every time I look at that thing. <laughs> Listen to me. As... A born-again believer, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you name the name of Christ, you say, I'm a Christian, you don't belong to you. And you don't have the right to do with your body as you choose. God's word says, so I, what's it? Go back one. So you do not belong to yourself. I want you to say with me, I don't belong to me. Say it. I don't belong to me. Now say it one more time. I don't belong to me. Now, some of you still aren't believing that. Say it one more time. I don't belong to me. And I want you to know where the authority to say that come from. Not from Jerry Helton. not from any pulpit, not from any man. It comes from God's word. You are not your own. So look what he says. Next verse. For God bought you with a high price. Now, scripture tells us another scripture what that price was. It says, for we were not redeemed with the blood of sacrifices of goats and lambs and, and, and cash, all this. But with the sinless blood of the Lamb of God. He purchased us. He redeemed us from the slave market of sin and self. He redeemed us with his blood so that we could bring glory and honor to God through our bodies. So I'm asking myself, Why? Do I keep talking about 30-something 30, 30 years? And every year in January, the same message that life is valuable, that we dare not, we dare not lose sight of that. Why, why do we, why do, why do we keep talking about abortion? I keep talking about homosexuality. I keep talking about all these issues because I read things like this. Read it this week. Was shared it this week by one of our elders, Elder Don. I'm quoting Religious beliefs that oppose abortion have to be changed. Listen to this. Religious beliefs that oppose abortion have to be changed. I'm quoting one of the uh, debaters that's going to be debating tonight in the presidential debate. And it's not a male. That comment was made at the Women in the World Summit this past April. Let me give you another quote that was given in support of the lesbian, gay, and bisexual, transgender. Quote from the same individual served as Secretary of State. Convictions against homosexuality are equivalent... To the justification offered for violent practices toward women, like honor killings, widow burning, or female genital mutilation. And this same person was just endorsed this week by Planned Parenthood in their bid for the President of the United States. Far too long, way too long, we have allowed The world to choose the terminology and the wording in these debates. In 2015, this past year, this past year, in the United States alone, Planned Parenthood alone, took the life of 323,999 of the most innocent among us. And they did this. With the support and the blessings and the financial help of our government. Now to try to put that in perspective, Jacob Kelly did some, did some work for me. In the area in red, a Georgia people. It would be equivalent to the population to annihilating, destroying every individual in Fannin, Union, Towns, Rayburn, Stevens, Habersham, White, Lumpkin, Dawson, Pickens, and Gilmer, and for our North Carolina friends, adding in Clay and Cherokee Counties, North Carolina. Total population of all the area in red, little over 318,000. Planned Parenthood Took the lives of over 323,000, like one, one baby being 324,000. Now listen, if a bomb had exploded or if a natural disaster, disaster had happened that had wiped out the population of these counties, the whole world would be up in arms. The whole world would be pouring in sympathy, would be pouring in prayers, would be pouring in. But it's happened to the most innocent among us and nothing is said. Wow. Just this week, I learned of another brutality and inhumane act of of ISIS. Around the Christmas holidays, some Muslim children, some Muslim children, young children, wished some of their, used to be their friends, their neighbors in their village. One was a Merry Christmas. Another was a Happy New Year. Those children were taken by ISIS, the Muslim kids, and have never been heard of since. As far as they know, they've been executed. Vicar Canon Andrew White, and Jim may know this man personally, known as the Vicar of Baghdad. I think he may, I don't know if he's, he's been, they've had to rescue get him out for a while. Personally, give an account of ISIS going into one Christian home Taking five children, shooting them and beheading them. The youngest was five. The oldest was 13. Because they would not renounce Christ and follow Allah. And I read those things and I see those things and, and, I, and, and I get, I get so, so many emotions. I get furious. I get angry. I get, I get upset. How can anybody be so inhumane? How can anybody treat kids that way? My daddy used to say, dad used to say sometimes, we'd hear this horrible, back then it was rare, but horrible something of somebody being mean to a child. And daddy would say, hell ain't hot enough for a person who would, who would do that to a kid. And we do that, and I want to turn my head away, I can't, I almost can't stand to bear it. But listen to me. Every one of us, every civilized human being, when they read this report of what ISIS is doing to the children, not only children but to adults, but especially to the children. Every civilized human, wherever they are in the world, should be indignant, should be angry, and should say, that something is terribly wrong when they're doing that to the kids. But listen to me. If we are indignant about that, which we should be, rightfully so, but if 323,999 innocent unborn babies' lives can be taken in this country and we aren't just as indignant, there's something horribly wrong. Just this month, finally, the Congress in the United States get to their credit, put a bill on the president's desk that would defund tax dollars for Planned Parenthood, at least to take mine and your tax dollars out of the murder of these babies. Now, the president, in short order, vetoed that, and sadly, there is not enough men and women in our Congress that could be mustered together to override that veto. There's no wonder... During the same, when all this was happening, Franklin Graham stood up nationally, and and I, and, and I am so I am so excited for the brother. I love uh, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. In my opinion, is a ministry that has that has uh, then continues to operate with integrity in a in a uh, in a in, a, in a, the waters that are filled with mines. Okay, I like, first service I like. I never figured out what you call you call a landmine, a minefield. I didn't know what you called a water mine, and they said you call them mines. Well, in, in, in this, in this, in this uh, culture where the enemy has sought to discredit, to defame the name of Christ by 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 bringing down ministries and ministers, and, and in my opinion, the, the Billy Graham Association has walked with integrity and still do, and. Uh, Through Samaritan's Purse and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, all their finances were run through uh, Wells Fargo. Isn't Wells Fargo the one with the 20 team, mule team borax? Isn't that the one you used to come on? Yeah, the Bank Bank of Wells Fargo. When Billy Graham, uh, when, when Franklin Graham approached him and said, Your public funding of Planned Parenthood, we can't agree with. And when they didn't change their position, he withdrew every bit of funding that of the Billy Graham Association and of Samaritan's Purse from that organization. It's about time that we too take the lead and follow that lead by men of God and women of God that stand up and say, enough is enough. He would, Billy, uh, Franklin Graham would, would say this during that same time. I'm quoting. I don't believe our country can survive another eight years unless there's a big change. I don't have any faith in the Democratic Party. I don't have any faith in the Republican Party. And I don't have any faith in the Tea Party, whoever they are. I'm quoting. He says, the only hope for our country is God. Amen. 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 A few days ago, Franklin Graham started his Decision America tour, where his where he feels God is leading him to to go to every state capital, every state capital in the United States, hit all fifty state capitals before the fall elections with a call to repentance and a call to prayer. Now he is, he is he is not. Encouraging Christians to withdraw from the political process right the opposite. Matter of fact, I'm reminded in 2012 in the general election in this country. In 2012, an election that was decided by 5 million votes. That there is an estimated or was an estimated 17 million people who would identify themselves as evangelical Christians that did not vote. That is a shame, that is a disgrace, and that has to be laid at the foot of God's people. You can't point to the White House, we can't point to Atlanta, we have to point to the church house and say, where are we? Why aren't we standing up? Why are we being counted? Vote. Vote biblically. I believe abortion is murder of innocent, unborn children. Don't sanitize it, don't sterilize it. Call it what it is. And I am convinced that one of the reasons that we have this Holocaust happening and has been happening now since 1973 is because the people of God and the church of God has been either unable or unwilling to stand up and speak with one voice. And hear me, that is not a Republican voice, that is not a Democrat voice, that is not a Baptist voice, that is not a Methodist voice, that is not a Pentecostal voice, but at least we should be able to settle on this voice, the Word of God. Truth is truth. And God is calling us to repentance. Repentance has never been a popular message but we sang the song this morning. Boy, I love the youth band. We've, they've been fussed at and scolded by everybody trying to get them out of here. And they wanted to get everything in. And I know. But they did so good this morning. Don't you think they did good? Yeah, they did great. I, I, they did great. And the, and the song when we were talking about prepare of the way of the Lord. That, you know, I was thinking about, Lord, why, do, why have I preached this message for so long? And I was reminded, I was looking at Matthew 3, that John the Baptist... Basically, as far as I could tell, John the Baptist preached the same message. That was his one message. Repent. Repent for the kingdom of the Lord's at hand. Prepare the way of the Lord. Repent. That was his message. That's the message that John that God has given that gave to him. And it's a good message. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 reminds us that true sorrow or godly repentance. Is so deep when godly repentance is there, it produces a change. A change. Look at this. For the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience, and again, it should be a sorrow when we. Look at that map. When we read of the Holocaust, when we see what's happening with ISIS, when we see what's happening in the Planned Parenthood clinics in our country, when we see the attacks on all this thing, it should cause our hearts to grieve. It should cause a godly sorrow that drives people to their knees in prayer and drives us to God's word for truth and for answers. And Scripture says when that godly sorrow works repentance, he said for the kind of sorrow that God wants to experience leads us away from our sins and results... In salvation. That's godly sorrow. We've been so desensitized in the culture in which we live. Politicians, public officials, caught breaking the laws, blatantly breaking laws. I, I, I get what has happened to our country. Uh, you know, I read this, uh, what, there, again, there's, there's some official that's running and, and uh, my understanding that if uh, I, all the emails and people say, why it's a big deal of emails? Well, my, my big deal is either the law is the law and it's supposed to be the same for every one of us. Do you think if Jerry Helton did what somebody else has done and they've been investigating and now I got so many hundred emails and they're still trying to determine if a law was bro- broken? I just want to tell you something. Y'all would be sending me care packages in some prison somewhere <laughs> and you would be too. But when the law is broken by by both parties, both parties, both political flavors, when the law is broken, or even when the moral law, I am so tired of people saying, "Well, well, you know, what does you don't want to bring in their personal lives? Get with the program." Moral integrity is moral integrity is so critical to God, and I and we hear people do this, and they say, "Well, I'm sorry, I just made a bad judgment," and we're supposed to say, "Okay." And As Christians, we need to be the most forgiven people in the world, but we don't need to, be the most, need to be the most naive, right? There's a big difference between sorry you got caught and sorry that you broke the law, right? There are a lot of people get really sorry when they get caught. But godly sorrow, God's Word says godly sorrow works repentance, and repentance makes a change. It says there is no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, look at this, which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. If you're really repentant, there's going to be a change. There's going to be a change. Matter of fact, when we come to Christ, there's a change. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature, new creation. All things are passed away. All things are become new. We're not the same people. And I praise God for that. We need to realize that grace. We need to grasp that grace. And we need to grant that grace that we're not the same. But all of us need to understand this with clarity. If we have really surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ, my talk will be new. My thoughts will be new. My heart will be new. My attitude will be new. My, my, the priorities of my life are going to be new. My desires are going to be new. My lifestyle is going to be new when I'm in Christ. Listen to me. Listen carefully. If you say you're in Christ and you still talk the way you used to talk, think the way you used to think, Act like you used to act. Cheat like you used to cheat. Lie like you used to lie. Gossip like you used to gossip. Swear like you used to swear. Lust like you used to lust. You're wrong. You're wrong. You say, now, pastor. Well, don't take, I don't, listen, my word matters little. What does God say about it? Look in in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 says this. Whoever is born of God. Doesn't commit sin for a seed remains in him and he cannot sin, cannot keep on sinning. We, if when we are a new creature, we don't continually continue to make a habit and continue to live in sin if there's been real change. Not my word, but God's word, He's working that in our lives today. More than ever, we need to hear the voices of John. And the voices of Franklin Graham. The voices that are calling us to repentance. One of the things that stood out, stands out to me so starkly. In the book of Daniel. Excuse me. Daniel, along with some of his contemporaries, younger guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were, they were some of the younger, probably most likely teenagers that were taken as as they, they left Israel, they were taken away captive by, Babylon, by the Babylonians from Israel. Israel was God's chosen people. Israel was a nation that God had blessed. Israel was a nation that had forgot God. And as a result of forgetting God and said, hey, we got this. We did it on our own. We don't need you, God. God said, okay, I'll let a foreign country come in and invade you and we'll, 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 see, we'll work some repentance there. Hello? Hello? In the book of Daniel, Daniel had dared to stand. He had prayed even when he knew the decree was made that no no, no, decree, no prayer was to be made to anyone but the king. Daniel prayed. And he didn't pray in secret then. He went to the window and opened it like he always had done before and said, Here I am, guys, praying to God. If you want to know where I am, this is where I am. If you don't know my address, let me write it down for you where you can come and check. Now, I know that's your little bit embellishment on Jerry Helton's part. But I'm just simply saying, Daniel stood firm. And he stood boldly, boldly. Listen, but what what speaks to me is when Daniel is praying, and he's praying for the sins of Israel, his people. And he's praying, and he says, "God, forgive me, for I've sinned." And I want to say, "No, Daniel! Whoa, whoa, whoa! They they're the ones that done it, man. Dude, you're down here. You're going in the lines. Then you're praying." What did he do? He identified with God's people. And he said, It starts with us. We're the leaders. We're the Christians. With me. And I thought, Wow, there's a voice that's calling. And it's saying, Stay surrendered. Stay humble. If you don't know truth, stay in my word. I'll, I, it's true. It's all true. I'm truth. I'll lead you. I'll guide you,
1: but stand. Father, forgive me where I've sinned. Father, my sins are, can be overwhelming to me except for your grace and goodness. I too have been complicit, Father, and oftentimes not speaking when I should have spoken, sometimes not being prepared to speak when I should have been, standing up for your truth. Father there's been times I've not been loving as I should be loving with your love and with your grace. Times I've not been bold as I should be bold. God there's times that I should have done more to cry out for the voices of those who cannot cry, the voices of the innocent voices of those in the womb and say enough is enough and it's not just we can't be quiet. God forgive us our land, Lord for the blood of the innocent babies and kids. Lord, that runs red because we, your church, and we, your people, have not been able to speak with one voice and act in one accord on this very basic truth. God, forgive us. Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Father, this morning we throw, I throw myself and we throw ourselves and we throw this country, Lord, at your feet and say, God, we need mercy. Don't judge us according to what, Lord, we deserve. God, we, des- we, we, have, we have forsaken you. We have trashed your name. We have stood by while your name has been, has been pushed out of the courthouses. It's been pushed out of the schoolrooms. And, Lord, now it's pushed out of a lot of the pulpits, with play- replaced with just social garbage. God, forgive us. God, heal our land. Oh, Lord, heal our land. God, start it with us. God, I pray that out of the house of prayer would start a revival, Lord, that would affect uh, all of North Georgia, it would affect all of Georgia and the tri-state area, Lord, it would affect our country. And God, it can if your people that are called by your name stay humble before you and pray and repent and seek your face. God, keep our knees working in repentance. Keep our hearts humble before you. Dear Lord Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.